Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we're going to Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, to talk to Mariam Ahmed, and uh, she has quite an interesting background and quite a road ahead of her. So welcome, Mariam. Thank you, Peter. Okay, so let's start with your academic background. Where did you go to school? Sure. So I went to law school in Pakistan, in Lahore, at the Lahore University of Management and Sciences. Um, From there, I went straight to UC Berkeley in California in the U.S., where I got my master's in law, and I focused on international humanitarian law, in fact, while I was there at Berkeley. Um, During the time that I was in law school, in fact, right back when I was in Lahore, I also started a youth movement called Literati Pakistan, which was about um, encouraging young people to take action and responsibility for the challenges and community-based problems they see around them. And one of the key pieces to this movement was also mainstreaming social enterprise and social innovation as tools to do that work. Um, so while I was at Berkeley, I um, ended up really um, keenly getting into the human rights space. So even after I was done with my master's, I came back to Pakistan and started working with a nonprofit legal aid cell um, that was working with people who had been illegally rendered as part of the war on terror. I was working on cases um, pertaining to the death penalty in Pakistan. There were some really, really interesting and extremely hard pieces in there. Um, We'd have letters from prisoners in Bagram in Afghanistan who had not seen their families in 10 years. There was this one letter one day uh, of this gentleman who had a fiance before he got illegally detained and sent to a secret prison that no one knew about. And he asked his family, I heard she got engaged again. Is she happy? I always remember her in my prayers. And it broke my heart <laughs> completely. And it made me think of all the ways in which our systems fail us and that they're broken. And even the most extraordinary of organizations like the Red Cross, who are making sure that these letters even reach people's homes. What are we actually doing? What difference is it making? And how is it that we still allow things like this to happen in this century? And so around that time, uh, this youth movement that I had started was really blossoming into something of its own. Um, It started with um, a social innovation desk that the Lahore University of Management Sciences had given to us. So we had a dean at the School of Humanities, Dr. Anjum Altaf, who was like, you guys are super cool. Do you want a desk in my office? (laughs) And he said, yeah, sure. He's like, yeah, you can use this desk and you can use the stationery and you can also 
uh, here's my endorsement. And so you can use the school's name for things you apply to. And we started applying to grants and funding opportunities in these pieces and suddenly ended up with four-year funding from the MasterCard Foundation here in Canada uh, to set up Pakistan's first social enterprise incubator. And so in 2012, 2013, <laughs> I was essentially facing a crossroads. Do I continue in the human rights space? where I know that a lot is broken and a lot needs to be done. But also someone like me who um, feels things really deeply, <laughs> it's almost paralyzing sometimes to be confronted with letters like that one, to be confronted with tremendous injustice and how we're all a cog in the system and there's really very little we can do to shift it because the root causes are very different, right? They're entirely different. The root causes lie in economics, in power, in politics. And the law doesn't address those pieces. But interestingly, social enterprise could. Social enterprise, when practiced in a really interesting, subversive way, could actually very sneakily, and I mean this in a good way, I don't mean naughty, evil, sneaky, I mean really interesting, good, sneaky, right? Subversive, sneaky. Subversive, sneaky way, social enterprise could actually talk about deeply political, economic, social, and other pieces without rocking too many boats, without sounding too controversial. And there, that's where I saw an opportunity. I was like, hold on a second we could actually do something here. <laughs> and so in 2012, 2013, I flipped careers all together, left the law behind, ran away from it literally in the other direction and set up Pakistan's first social enterprise incubator along with some very good friends and colleagues. We ended up incubating hundreds of social enterprises that went on to serve millions of people, not just in Pakistan, but beyond in the world innovations in food systems, ecotourism, um, artisanal handicrafts, um, healthcare, clean energy. Gosh, it is extraordinary uh, the potential that these young people had and the change they were able to make. Come 2018, 2019, the pandemic hit. And this is around the time that I, in fact, moved to Canada because uh, my husband's workplace told him he needs to come back because, you know, remote work isn't working for them. <laughs> and this is hilarious because just the next year with the pandemic hitting and uh, the, the year after that, everything went remote. But I ended up moving to Canada in 2019. 2020, the pandemic hits. And all the work that I'd been doing in Pakistan pretty much came to a standstill. And it had been almost eight years at that point since I'd started doing this work. And there were so many stories to tell, but I had never found the time. And so the universe said, hey, why don't you stop for a sec and uh, think about that? 
which is how I ended up in my next academic endeavor, <laughs> uh, a PhD program at the University of Waterloo uh, in sustainability management, where I'm focusing on how indigenous and traditional wisdom frameworks have this immense potential to decolonize social innovation the way it's practiced and really create the space for transformative communities of practice, what, which is essentially what we need to you know, tackle the multiple crises that confront us as, a, as humanity. <laughs> and so I'm, I call them dialogues of wisdoms. We need to have dialogues of wisdoms. Uh, and that's it. That's, that's the nutshell of my academic journey and sprinkled with bits and pieces of my professional journey. So, Mariam, all that work that you did in Pakistan, couldn't you do that here as well? I can, and I am. So <laughs> here I started working with um, CSI, the Center for Social Innovation, where um, I helped design and facilitate some of their um, climate entrepreneurship programs, part of their climate ventures programming. Um, at Social Innovation Canada, I started consulting as a social innovation lab designer. Uh, and I am leading their uh, design for the financialization of housing lab. Uh, and that lab focuses on how uh, tools that were meant to make housing more accessible and affordable have <laughs> inadvertently made the housing ecosystem far, far worse for uh, historically excluded communities, people from low-income backgrounds, and so on and so forth, people in poor housing need. And so how do we use tools that were essentially meant to make things better, have made things worse, how do we look at them, repurpose them, reframe them, or create altogether new tools out of them to make housing more affordable, accessible, equitable, and adequate for all? Uh, so that's the work I'm doing here right now, apart from my PhD. Uh, also looking to, in fact, potentially set up uh, a chapter of our social innovation lab here uh, and consult uh, more globally. So, and the work in Pakistan is still ongoing. So it's it's really, yeah, it's it's a, it's a great time to be doing this work. So the work in Pakistan is there a website that people could uh, look at? Absolutely, it's called www sockinlab.org that's s-o-c-i-n-n-l-a-b.org the first three letters of social innovation lab.org terrific are you an advisor for that one i am so i moved to the board <laughs> and became more of an advisor when i moved here to canada uh the work is still ongoing. I um, am called in to advise and sometimes consult um, on new projects and new partnerships. Um, the lab is nowadays mostly focused on um, making connections between communities, um, working to promote more women in entrepreneurship and uh, doing uh, consulting for um, social enterprises and nonprofits around the world. Well, that's terrific. That sure fits in with what we're doing. So I'm delighted to hear that it's happening in other countries and Waterloo, of course. <laughs> yeah. So when are you going to write a book? When are you going to become a professor? <laughs> I am. So I, 
So interestingly, I had I had I have edited a book. So the first book on social enterprise in Pakistan, it's called the Handbook of Social Enterprise in Pakistan. Uh, we published that in 2012, and I edited that series. So I'm an editor. <laughs> then we wrote a number of reports on the social enterprise landscape in Pakistan. Um, couple of them were published by the British Council, one that we self-published in 2018. So I have authored studies and reports. I am now, as part of my PhD work here, working on a book, <laughs> which is, you know, it, it, it's going to have case studies of really wonderful social innovation, social enterprise support organizations around the world um, who are using traditional and by traditional, I mean comparative faith, faith-based frameworks in social innovation practice or indigenous frameworks in social innovation practice. And how when we talk about these pieces, there's something fundamentally different from how social innovation, social enterprise are practiced in the mainstream. So one of the pieces that I'm really trying to, you know, spotlight is how when you talk about wisdom approaches, just their pedagogy is altogether different, right? So if we look at mainstream, global north, western pedagogies, they focus on taking data, turning that data into information, using that information to glean knowledge. And when you glean that knowledge, you have something solid, then you go into the world and you apply it. So that's where it stops. When you look at wisdom approaches, they go from data to information to knowledge. And then they go to the next step, which is wisdom, right? So instead of, do, instead of doing or just doing, they go to the next piece, which is the purpose piece. Why am I doing what I'm doing? They go to the being piece, the embodiment piece. How am I living what I'm doing? How do I embody? How do I manifest what I'm doing? And so even at their most progressive, mainstream pedagogical approaches stop at the knowing doing, the research praxis. They never move on to the being, the embodiment phase. And that's where wisdom approaches completely shine through, right? Because that being piece is central. Uh, so when are you going to be a professor? <laughs> I um, it's it's interesting, right? Because the university itself is changing. The nature of jobs is changing. Are we still going to have the same kind of jobs in ten years? We don't know. Is university going to be the same in 10 years? Definitely not. Do people even need university degrees for jobs? Very likely not. Like it's already happening. Google doesn't require a university degree anymore. A lot of big firms don't. Um, people are learning skills online through edX and Coursera and all these different platforms. So, <laughs> Yeah, I use Acumen. Acumen is fantastic. I'm an Acumen fellow from 2014. 
Acumen has this fantastic leadership fellowship program, and I was part of it in 2014, and it was a game changer. So when are you going to be a professor? <laughs> I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, why do I have to be a professor? Okay. Um, well, I, how, how do you want to communicate some of your messages then? What, what kind of approaches? Is it webinars? Is it workshops? Is it run, starting, helping people to start their own social enterprise? What, what do you see yourself? Well, let's, let's for us for three years. What are you going to be doing? It's interesting. Uh, <laughs> so the professor route is definitely an option, right? Uh, you do a PhD, you get a placement, you start on the tenure track. That's definitely possible. Uh, but what annoys me about that, and not every university is like this, and a lot of them are changing, but it's it's publish or perish, right? And you're not writing because you're doing it as a service or you're doing it because there's something actually to be written about. You're doing it to for further your career. And I find that extremely problematic, right? It, it's, 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 it's reaffirming the same sort of capitalistic narratives in the space of education, which I completely denounce. Uh, there are folks like Bell Hooks who were a big inspiration, right? She used to, uh, God bless her soul, she used to be a traveling professor. And everywhere she'd go, you know, there'd be a bunch of students who would follow her to the next place. <laughs> And so she had this tremendous following. Um, and that's a model that is worth exploring, right? The non-tenured nomadic professor route. That's something I can I can potentially think of and ascribe to and feel inspired by. Uh, there's also obviously more of the same stuff, right? Like I've been doing social enterprise workshops. I've been doing webinars. I've been doing training. So there is the opportunity to do more of that. I've been doing consulting. Absolutely opportunity to do more of that. But I also think about systems change now, right? So I've I've come to I've come to see how social enterprises, when done right and when in connection, right? So so there's two pieces. People talk about critical mass, but they miss talking about critical connection. So you need to have critical mass, but that mass needs to be critically connected in order to shift a system or change a system. Um, I take um, I, I take I I, I I I question the Canadian mainstream social innovation approach, which talks about oh, one social innovation can change the system when done right. I don't believe that. I don't think anything can be done right when it's a single thing a single person, a single innovation, a single change. No, that doesn't work. You need to have multiplicity. You need to have plurality. You need to have complexity. So one social innovation is not going to change the world. But many, many interconnected ones will. And so where I see myself is supporting the creation of those networks of influence. How do we connect dots? How do we foster deep relationality between social entrepreneurs that are out there, between social innovators that are out there? How do we give them 
the critical finance that is required to really take them to the next stage, right? So with regular venture capitalism, we see, you know, one company becoming a unicorn, scaling up like crazy, and then leading to what? More sort of crazed billionaires all vying for space on their rocket ships when the planet is in a global pandemic. That's what they're spending their money on. No, thank you. I don't want to see more of that, especially not in the social impact space where people can end up with messiah complexes. No. What I want to see is, <laughs> and this sounds funny now, in 2018, I used to call it the pandemic of social impact. It really sounds bad now, <laughs> given that we are still at the tail end of a global health pandemic. But what would a pandemic of social impact look like? What if being in six feet of a social entrepreneur, of a social innovator, would give us the the motivation, the encouragement to also become social innovators and entrepreneurs. If not entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, innovators, change makers, whatever you want to call it. How can we have cascading social impact? And to borrow your phrase, social franchising, <laughs> it needs to be with community partnerships. It needs to be through replicating ideas that have worked in other places, but with a key eye for context. Because what works in Pakistan will not work in Canada. What works in Canada will not work in the US. Gosh, what works in Waterloo will not work in Toronto. What works in Kitchener will not work in Guelph. Because context, space, place is so important. And that's what we've missed, right? So. Indigenous wisdom keeps telling us to come back. Wine Delonia, Deloria Jr., brilliant, brilliant man, keeps telling us to come back to space. And so space-based, community-based, participatory, collective-connected social innovation, supporting that through collaborative social finance. So don't make people compete for money. Force them to collaborate for it. Ask them to show us what radical collaboration looks like and then see what a brilliant mushrooming of social impact looks like. I see. I think that's where I see myself in three years. How do you overcome the fact that so many social innovators operate in silos, that they don't connect with others? They feel that if, if they give out some of their ideas, somebody's going to steal them. And as a result, they don't collaborate. Exactly, right? And this is, this is why the way we're teaching social innovation and social entrepreneurship is wrong. We are using the same frameworks, the same metrics for success as regular ventures, as regular businesses, and we cannot. Because our mindset as social innovators and social in, you know, and entrepreneurs needs to be fundamentally different. It's that, it's that disconnect between knowledge and wisdom, right? Wisdom approaches always talk about why. Why am I doing this? What is my larger purpose? If a social entrepreneur or social innovator's larger purpose is to become redundant, that's what success ought to look like, right? That you don't need me in the world anymore because it's fixed. <laughs> because it's healed. If the larger purpose, the end goal of a social entrepreneur 
is for their business to become obsolete, they will not care about competition. Because competition means maybe they're going to collaborate so deeply that they're both, both their businesses are going to become obsolete sooner. And that's success. That is what success ought to be. So what fundamentally needs to shift is how we're teaching social innovation and social enterprise. So yeah, maybe maybe there is a little bit of professor in there. <laughs> Maram, you have a lot of wisdom in, in quotation marks. And uh, you're going to make a change going forward, hopefully in Pakistan and Canada. And we thank you for your time this morning to uh, outline the fascinating work that you're involved in. So thank you very much. You're most welcome. Thank you for the opportunity, Peter.